This is our world now. The world of the electron and the switch, the beauty of the bond. We exist without nationality, skin color, or religious bias. You wage wars, murder, cheat, lie to us and try to make us believe it's for our own good, yet we're the criminals. Yes, I am a criminal. My crime is that of curiosity. I am a hacker and this is my manifesto. Huh? Right? Manifesto? You may stop me, but you can't stop us all. Oh, that's cool. Cool? Yeah, cool. You think it's cool? It's cool. It's not cool. It's commie bullshit. For this week's episode, uh, we wanted to kind of switch up the pitch, so to speak. Um, We wanted to talk and I guess converse about just sort of films that get us into a certain mood, um, even maybe lifting us out of a certain mood. Um, With the quarantine, self-quarantine, and kind of, you know, I guess the rush to quote-unquote get back to business... Um, a lot of emotions are for a lot of emotions are up in the air for a lot of different people for different reasons. Um, I know myself, you know, I'm having you know a lot of difficulties with the self quarantining, um, which I assume anyone listening to this has had their issues with it, um, the very whatnot. But I did want to chop it up with Cat just to see specifically, you know, what kind of movies she watches to get herself out of a mood or to put her in a specific sort of mindset, a uh, mind state. Um, so Kat, can you talk a little bit about, um, so what's a movie that you kind of watch for yourself to like get you in like more of like a pleasant mood or to elevate your spirits? Yeah. Um, so I've got a couple and I'll be honest. I was not expecting this to be as hard as it was to like distill it down to a pretty easy list. Uh, initially, I was like, well, obviously, and I think I've referenced this before, uh, but The Birdcage is a movie that I watched a lot when I've been down. Oh, fuck him. Of course you can pass as an uncle. You're a great performer, I'm a great director. Together we can do almost anything. Oh, Amon, really? Absolutely. Oh. We've got five hours. All right, first, get your pinky down. It's up oh. again. All right, and your posture. Oh, oh my God, are you crazy? What are you doing? Stop screaming. Ah! I'm teaching you to act like a man. All right. All right. Now, this is a dinner party. Let's work with food. All right. Spread some mustard on the toast. Don't use the spoon, and don't dribble little dots of mustard. No? No. You take your knife, and you smear. Men smear. Smear, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So like when I was uh, dealing with my my leg surgery and not being able to leave my bedroom very much and whatever, uh, I probably was watching The Birdcage once or twice a week, uh, which is a lot. Uh, I don't tend to revisit movies a whole lot. Uh, so that's that's a lot for me to revisit a movie. But then I kind of started to distill into what a comfort movie is for me. Yeah. And that's when things got kind of interesting for me. You know? Because I realized that I have different ones and each one of them has a different mood and different energy for kind of what I'm trying to comfort, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Because people are super emotionally complex i don't think that's a controversial uh like sentiment if it (laughs) is this this may not be the podcast for you because we talk about sad boy hours a lot um (laughs) but like i kind of realized that like there there is different energy for the different parts of me that need comforting so the birdcage makes me smile every time i watch it you know, that is very pure. This makes me laugh, and that is why I like it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's high energy. It's jokes. It's a community, you know, that I kind of know. I, I've done drag. I'm friends with a lot of people who do drag. And obviously, it's not necessarily an accurate representation of what drag is in 2020. You know, but it's yeah. it's funny. It's smart. You're seeing a lot of the seeds of making fun of you know, very conservative people and just kind of the hypocrisy that exists in their beliefs. And I think that's really interesting and really funny and it's a really great comedic foil to this South Beach couple that's so, ugh, and like somehow they have a really boring son. You know, it, everything... Yeah, this is a mega square. Everything is played so extreme and so well that I... I can't not laugh when I watch it. Uh, do you remember how you were first introduced to Birdcage? Oh, I absolutely do. <laughs> so, when I was 14, uh, my nanny, who had basically raised me since I was born, passed away. Uh, she had pancreatic cancer. Uh, and we hadn't, as a family, we usually took a family vacation in March, on my March break. As a family, we hadn't scheduled a vacation because we didn't know if she would be alive or not. She passed away in February. Yeah. So we were like, okay, we've got a month. Uh, 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 what do we do? And so we booked an all-inclusive all, you know, uh, stay in the Dominican Republic. Largely, I think, as a kind of, uh, we need something that we can book now. Yeah. You know, and uh, this one of the days we were there, it was raining. And I mean, like, it was not like you could still go swimming or like you could still hang. Like, it was raining. If you were somewhere uncovered, you were getting wet and not in a fun way. Like, those, hey, but like those angry, pelting raindrops, you know. Uh, So we were hanging out in the room. We were just flipping channels, and the birdcage was on. And my mom says, oh, oh, this movie is great. And uh, it had Spanish subtitles, and all of the ads were in Spanish. 
uh, <laughs> but we watched the birdcage. Um, I missed probably the first 10 minutes or so. Mom kind of filled me in. Uh, yeah. But I we sat and watched most of the rest of the movie together. And it was so, it was so good. And I didn't get all of it. You know, I'm 14, but yeah. I was picking up on a lot of it. And I just remember thinking, like, wow, the energy of this movie is really good. And then, like, I don't know, four or five years later, it was on a plane when we were going somewhere. So I watched it again. And it just kind of kept coming up. Like, it was on TV again for, like, a while. It was on a lot right after Robin Williams died. Yeah. Uh, and it just kept coming up. And it just kept being something that I found myself quoting or thinking of as positive. Uh, and then I f- found it at I found yeah. it at FYE for like three ninety nine, and I was like, "Well, hey, I feel like I should own this, uh, if nothing <laughs> else, because watching it with ads every time is the worst." Yes. <laughs> so uh, I then just grabbed. Grabbed it for three ninety nine and found myself revisiting it a lot whenever I was sad, which unfortunately, like because leg surgery and just a bunch of other senior year sad bullshit, uh, up being probably once or twice a week. What's your favorite moment from Birdcage? Oh, that's you're so thinking, hard. Why are you thinking? I, my my favorite part of what was in drawn to is when they're trying to they're trying to teach so Robin Williams is um he's trying to teach Albert how to be more manly and so they're <laughs> at the restaurant and they're trying to fiddle with the the toast points and the the football and then yeah. at the end um, like he talks shit to that that big giant dude <laughs> like for some reason I've always thought that scene was super smart and super funny and kind of like how I don't know I think that was sort of the genius of Robin Williams but also the genius of Nathan Lang how yeah. they were really playing off of each other I wonder how much of that scene was actually scripted or how much they just like went off the fly but mm-hmm. I've always loved that scene so, for starters, I would uh, really, 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 really like to appreciate, uh, he does all the voice, Hank Azaria, who I love, uh, but is none of my favorite moments. Uh, I think he gives an amazing performance in this, uh, <laughs> and I would just like to give him, like, all the shout-outs, even though I'm about to not shout him out at all. Um, so, uh the one one of the lines that has has always killed me, and it is my favorite line to watch people watch, is Albert Nathan Lane says, "I was adorable once, young and full of hope, and now look at me. I'm this short, fat, insecure, middle-aged thing." And Robin Williams, without skipping a beat, goes, "I made you short." <laughs> <laughs> and the other moment that I really love is when Robin Williams. And Nathan Lane are collaborating to teach uh, the, their kind of young gun dancer part of this this act, part of Serena's act, and he she is trying to backstage or back backseat direct a little bit. Uh, and so he goes, you know, he's trying to explain that 
you do, you know, you have to do this eclectic celebration of dance, you know, but also there's this dynamic of, oh, he's chewing gum and like all this other stuff kind of, oh, by the way, the parents are coming over tonight and they don't know that you're gay. Like, it's so fast paced in that scene. That scene also contains the, I would say, fairly iconic, you know, you do an eclectic celebration of dance, you know, you do uh, Fosse, 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 or Marsha Graham, Marsha Graham, Marsha Graham, or Twyla. Or Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, or Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. But you keep it all inside. Because that's a moment that I think you really see the physicality of everything. Yeah, and it's funny, uh, the guy was like, they're trying to get him to stop chewing the gum, and the guy's like, Let's just try and get through it. Well, you always ask so much of me. I have to understand every nuance of a song. I have to give a full-out performance, but everyone else can just get through it. I mean, he's chewing gum. Chewing gum helps me think. Sweetie, you're wasting your gum. Chewing gum helps me think. Huh. It's and then trade, yeah. like, sweetie, you're wasting your gum. <laughs> it's so, all of the moments in that scene are so good and so tight and so just like... Armand! Did you see what he just did? Hello, Valley, darling. What did he do? He blew a bubble with his gum while I was singing. He can't do that while I'm singing! Celsius, look, this may be a drag show, but it still has to be a good drag show. If possible, a great drag show. Yes, and just because you're 22 and hung doesn't mean you're... Let me do this, Albert. Fine, you're the director. Thank you. This is a complex number full of mythic themes. The woman who is singing invented you. You are her fantasy. And suddenly, you, the fantasy, see her, your inventor, and she becomes your fantasy. I don't think I get it. Try more gum. Albert. I hear you. Thank you, I know you do. It's so good. Yeah, so I definitely, it's funny, you said you watched it when you were first 14. Um, I first saw it when I was about 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, naturally there's going to be things that... um, Definitely went over my head for sure, um, but I've always um, I've always loved Birdcage. Um, it was definite, and actually, the funny thing is, that actually kind of goes to sort of what I had in mind for movies that make me feel better. Just like rewatching old movies from my childhood, um, Birdcage is definitely one of those movies that always came on Showtime. Uh, I was always mm-hmm. catching it whenever it came on, no matter what time it came on or um, what part I was catching in the middle. Um, I always love Birdcage. Um, another movie that I have on the background right now, I kind of doubt you've ever heard of this movie, but it's on Disney+. Plus. Um, it's this movie called Camp Nowhere. And it's about these like middle school kids who basically finesse their parents out of um, money. and they And it's like, maybe two dozen, two and a half dozen just fucking kids running around unsupervised doing a bunch of wild ass shit. And and I've always loved Camp Nowhere. Um, it's actually, I think it's one of the last movies that I saw as a child, like while I was sort of in like my adolescence where like, mm-hmm. like innocence like was a real thing that was like still prevalent in my life. And so... Watching these kids get into this like weird ass adventures. Well, one finessing finessing money out of adults is always a plus in my book. Yes. <laughs> so, so I checked that mark. 
the the protagonist who's like the main character his name is mud and he's basically I'm like with this, you so far he's like this kind of quote-unquote geek like he's smart like he's not like a nerd or whatever but he's like a smart kid who's super shy who like doesn't have like a lot of friends he's friends with these like three other people and they have like this little click together and I always sort of picture myself in that kind of mindset especially when I was like that young when the like I didn't have like a lot of friends but that was still at a point when not having a lot of friends like wasn't like a bad thing like you had your small group of people you were cool with and that's kind of all you needed like here you read the red badge of courage by Stephen Crane I analyzed its depiction of the Civil War. Uh, so who do I say won? You went for the North. Okay. Anyway, I say it's good for a C plus easy. Cool. But make the next one a B. So how you doing, Mud? I'm okay. That musclehead in gym class tried to hang me up by my underwear again. Wayne Fletcher? Don't worry, I've got him covered. You needed mm-hmm. that, you needed Snick, and you needed Halloween. Like, that's all you needed in life. So, mm-hmm. Can't Nowhere definitely takes me back to those vibes of, like, kids being kids. Um, uh, shout out to Christopher Lloyd. He's, like, the adult that they have with them to finesse, like, like money. Free spirit, the sexual dynamo. That's me. He's in a lot of Disney Channel original movies and, like, those live-action Disney situations. And uh, that is is not a dig at Christopher Lloyd. I understand the importance of getting any and all paycheck you can get. Uh, Uh, Christopher Lloyd's a man, man. Like, between between Cam Nowhere and the Addams Family movies, Christopher Lloyd is... He's good money in my book. Um... Cam Nowhere currently has a 16 of Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> but who gives a shit? It's still fucking great. Um, uh, if it helps, uh, I am watching uh, Inspector Gadget 2 in the background. Nice. Starring French Stewart, uh, which my dad uh, was going through uh, a bunch of my... Which has a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's that good. Uh Dad was going through all of my VHS tapes that we used to have uh, tonight, and he was like, it has just now occurred to me that your Inspector Gadget 2 DVD is, like, nearly worn out. Nice. I do not consider this a comfort movie at this point in my life, but I will say that this was actually the first thing I watched on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> uh, but the reason for it is not nearly as, like, make-funnable as you probably think it is. Okay. Uh, I specifically remember there being a song at the end of this movie, and, like, I remember lyrics, like, I remember the whole the whole thing. And I have a lot of friends who are really into Disney, and so I texted pretty much all of them and were like, you remember this song, right? <laughs> and all of them were like, we remember the movie, we do not remember the song. I, I so I was like, I, I gotta like remember if this song is in this nonsense or not. So <laughs> I watched the whole movie, but then I was like, okay. Then I went to a Comic-Con like 
maybe a week and a half later, two weeks later. Yeah. And I met French Stewart. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Just super casually. I was walking around and I met French Stewart and I was like, oh, my God. Hey, you'll never believe it. I watched Inspector Gadget 2 for the first time the other day. Or like the first time in a while the other day. It was the first thing I watched on Disney+. Plus. Because it's so weird because my my kids have Disney+. Plus and I keep hearing my voice coming from the other room. They really like Inspector Gadget 2 because they like the girl inspector. Nice. And oh! That's literally me. I was oh, super yeah. into G2 as a child. Um. Shout out to you for calling it G2, goddamn. <laughs> uh, well, no, G, G2 is the, the girl Inspector Gadget. Oh, okay. That's literally her name. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, girl Inspector Gadget, G2. Uh, also, Dr. Claw is inexplicably not hot in this one. Also, I'm watching the opening credits right now, and it looks like it was made in kid pics. Um, but I, I told... I told French Stewart that I, I liked his movie and uh, offered him a drink and he uh, straight up like gave me a signed picture of him as Inspector Gadget. Nice. <laughs> and was like to my new BFF. And I was like, oh my God, Inspector Gadget thinks I'm neat. Not Matthew Broderick though. He's, <laughs> I, I don't think he would think I'm neat, but that's okay. Matthew Broderick would think you're neat. I don't know that he thinks anyone is neat anymore. He he turned into a weenie, and I don't know what happened. He's a weenie now? How is he a weenie now? I mean, just look at him in anything. I mean, have you seen Election? Like, like he's been... he's been <laughs> Have you seen Election before? Because that movie is fucking wild. Is that a recent situation? No, Election is 99. Um... That, bro, so to sum up election, it's about it's about this high school teacher, Matthew Roderick. He's basically going through a midlife crisis of not only his marriage being like on the rocks, but there is this high school girl. Her last name is, uh, I think her, her first name is Tracy, last name is Flick. She's like A++++ type student. She's destined for greatness. And naturally, those those girls have no friends in these movies because, obviously. Um, and so he, like, kind of hates her, yet is sexually attracted to her. Like, that, like, <laughs> like describing that movie is wild as hell, but that doesn't even, even, like, hit the cusp of how wild that movie is. But the movie is actually good, so... I would def if you can find it streaming anywhere, I would say that's definitely a movie like worth like reviewing one day because that movie is fucking nuts. Uh, but yeah, believe it or not, Inspector Gadget Two is not something I consider one of my comfort movies, even though we just talked about it for ten minutes. Oh, it is. It totally is. <laughs> uh, I do have to say, watching it now, I find it really visually jarring. <laughs> Why do you say that? Uh, it's, it's got, like, the weirdest color palette of a movie I've seen in a really long time. Like, the pinks and purples are so bright, and everything else is very muted, and it just really does not make a super great visual experience. 
I mean, it's, it's was it a straight to DVD uh, type of situation? I straight think to- so. Yeah. Yeah, I am not surprised. <laughs> I am not surprised. I actually thought it was straight to uh, straight to Disney Channel, like a Disney Channel original movie. Oh. So I guess it's probably good that it's not. Like I, I'm sure they. Well, so just that, that's not putting into your comfort movie category. What's um something else is it a comfort movie for you? Uh, Tangled. Okay. Uh, the, I want to say 2000, oh god, his hand just turned into a phone. I need to stop. This is some weird Lovecraftian horror, and I can't deal with it. Uh, (laughs) so, Tangled, uh, is the, like, I want to say 2000, yeah, 2010, uh, Disney film, uh, retelling of Rapunzel. Uh, and I remember that I saw this in theaters, uh, with my friend Ellie. Shout out to Ellie. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it was one of the first, like, films I was allowed to, like, go see in the theater, like, by myself. You know, like, a parent didn't have to come. I could get picked up after. Yeah. Uh, which is which is a big deal as a child. Uh, but I just remember seeing it and really liking it. And then I, I liked it enough that I wanted to buy it on DVD. And I just, it's something I revisited a lot. Uh yeah. I really, first of all, it has a a really nice Alan Menken soundtrack that has a lot of kind of nostalgic Disney energy without being uh, kind of the same as a lot of other Disney movies. What is Tangled actually about? I've never known what Tangled's about. You've never seen Tangled? No, <laughs> I am not, no. Oh, okay. So Tangled is about uh, Rapunzel. So you know that kind of story, right? Yeah. Um, Except in this version, instead of her being traded away by her parents for greens, uh, she has magic hair because of some fuckery that's explained pretty quickly um, in the first, like, opening scene. Uh, And... Her magical hair can heal people who are sick and not, like, stop them from aging, but basically, like, make it so aging doesn't affect them super much, right? Cool. Yeah. Um, so this old woman who wants to maybe stop getting older uh, straight up kidnaps the kid because she wants to stay young. Locks her in a tower, never lets her outside. And if she cuts her hair, the magic in her hair dies. Okay. So the hair, the hair get long. Uh, so what makes this movie stand out so much to you? Um, beyond the soundtrack. Beyond yeah, the soundtrack. of course. Um, which I actually think the Princess and the Frog has a better soundtrack. Don't at me, but anyway. Uh, to me, the thing that I really like about it is that it was the first Disney movie with character chemistry that I really remember, like buying like she wants to go on an adventure she finds someone to take her on the adventure he doesn't really want to take her at first he keeps trying to shake her and he's creative about it but never in like a mean way more in just a like i don't want to have to deal with this kind of way uh and you know but it then turns into them realizing that like hey maybe the other one isn't so bad and hey maybe she's a little more badass than i thought 
and it it really culminates in a really believable adventure story, which I really like, and also a really believable romance. Um, especially because it's implied that like they fall in love over three days, but they don't get married right away. It's not really about their love. It's a factor, but it's more of like just a side effect of the actual story that's happening. Okay. But, like, it seemed like a really real story. You know, it had a it had a weird timeline. It had a, a lot of growth and change in the narrative. It had a really good soundtrack. And I think it might have one of the best, like, romance song set piece scenes uh, ever in a Disney movie. I also think its message is a little bit, I won't say clearer, than than Disney movies, but I will say that it's a little bit, in my mind, better defined. Did you watch it when it first came out in 2010, or was? Oh yeah, I saw it in theaters. Uh, like I think the weekend it came out. Oh shit! I don't think I did that on purpose. I think it just happened to be like, oh, want to go see a movie? Yeah. What's playing this weekend? Well, let me get the newspaper and check. <laughs> the good old paper. I still check the movies times in the paper. Jesus, you're living in the past, girl. Well, I don't, (laughs) we don't get the paper anymore. We have a digital paper, like the Boston Globe comes to us via the the internet. Yeah. So usually I I check it in the morning anyway, just because I like to see what's up. And then I'll kind of just flip over if there's something I'm looking for. Uh... You don't use Fandango? It's an app. I I don't use Fandango, the app. Um, I have used Fandango, the website. Uh, but usually, if possible, I prefer to buy directly from the theaters. So I just have the theaters bookmarked on my, like their websites bookmarked on my phone. Look at you, keeping it old school. I appreciate that. Well, I also support a lot of independently owned and operated theaters locally. Yeah. Uh, so, like, the Coolidge Corner Theater, um, the Brattle, uh, the Capitol Theater, and the Davis Square Theater are both owned by a small company, but they only own old theaters. Like, okay. their whole thing is kind of keeping the local theater scene afloat. Um, Shit. They used to have the, um, it was called the Bijou, but then Regal Cinemas bought it out. So, they only they only show, like, art house stuff there still, but it's, like... This conglomerate still took it over, even though it wasn't making money anyway. Yeah. So the local, like the independently owned cinema in San Antonio, I think that's just dead because I don't know if that should exist anywhere else here. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to find, and I've I've worked really hard to kind of help keep those places afloat with just choosing to see my movies there when I can. But at the same time, if a screener's at the AMC, like, I'm going to buy a beer and a popcorn at the AMC. Sorry. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to not do, I'm not going to not support them because I do also think that, you know, as much as I hate to say it, saving the in-person theater experience period is kind of a thing that we now all need to be cognizant of. But anyway, so yeah, I saw Tangled opening weekend. I liked it fine. I was also 13 and like, I've always been, I would say, fairly feminine as these things go. And I know that I have talked about relationships and stuff on It's Like a Podcast or whatever and on here. But, like, 
I generally speaking do not consider myself someone who is particularly defined by my relationships. So I remember thinking that the relationship access aspect of the film was a little bit icky. I was like, oh, come on. But at the same time, as I've grown and matured and started to appreciate Disney movies, not just as like a movie, but as like an animated art piece, as a storytelling vehicle, uh, I've realized that this is, a, I think, a particularly interesting story because it comes at both of them as equals. I really like The Princess and the Frog. I really do. I'm actually actively listening to that soundtrack right now. Um, but one of the things that's always bothered me about that movie is that the girl is presented as hyper-competent and the boy is kind of a freeloader and, like, you have to buy into the fact that they like each other. Yeah. And there's really, like, besides him being charismatic, there's no reason for her to really like him until getting close to the end. He's kind of obnoxious the rest of the time. Mm. You know, and that relationship doesn't feel as grounded as this one, even though Tangled takes place over a shorter amount of time. Why do you consider it a comfort movie for you specifically? I think I really like the 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 thesis of the movie, such as it is, is, you know, go, go live your dream. Live your dream. Uh, and I have always found that to be incredibly validating uh, as someone who's always been, I think, excited to take that leap, but also hesitant to do so. I'm a very anxious person by nature. I think that I am usually a gather all the variables, synthesize, think about it, like probably panic about it and then maybe go do it type person. Yeah. Whereas every time I watch Tangled, I feel a little bit more like kind of loosened up and a little bit more like okay like i i have skills i have competencies these are things i can do i don't need to panic about this or think about this too much uh, yeah i think disney disney has always been really good about the um the aspect of kind of like uh motivating its viewers to feel a certain way so you, it makes sense that you would feel sort of encouraged and even more a bit like self-assured in a way. Um, I think mean, that's been Disney's MO since, well, beyond uh, Peter Pan. <laughs> but I think um, I think that's kind of like the their bread and butter, honestly. Mm -hmm. So it, also, it, it does make sense. I also really just like that, like, at the end of the day, her goal in this movie is not to meet a guy is not to get back with this guy. You know, it's not a Snow White or, um, you know, I won't say Cinderella, but I will say Sleeping Beauty. I've, I have always felt strongly that Cinderella gets shrifted when people have the feminist Disney debate, but that's beside the point. Um, so I think that uh, in, in my mind, Rapunzel is a modern princess in all of the ways that Tiana is in all of the ways that even Belle is uh, without necessarily getting shunted into the, you have to be hyper competent a little bit more mask than maybe you were initially anticipating super well read, super whatever, right? Like she still gets to be naive. She still gets to make mistakes and like she learns from them, but it's not the narrative doesn't punish her for having hope or being naive. 
Gotcha. Uh, I also just think that, like, I, I believe all the aspects of it. Uh, there's a moment with the par- Rapunzel's parents uh, where every year they release lanterns on her birthday, floating lanterns. Um, and you see them preparing to put up the first lantern. There is no dialogue in that scene. Just music and animation. And as these two people get ready to light and release the first lamp, like, it is so crazy emotional. And and in my mind, you know, this feels like a story that Disney has been bursting to tell. Whereas I really liked Frozen 2, but I can't say in good conscience that Frozen 2 was, you know, the story they were busting at the seams to get out. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. So it definitely sounds like you have an emotional connection to Tangled, um, which, I mean, <laughs> I think Disney did his job. So, um, also, if you want to see something a little bit nuts, uh, check check your Facebook messages. I just sent you my high school graduation cap. Nice. Which is which is from Tangled. That's cool, man. That's good also, shit right there. Also, my favorite place to hang out at Disney World is the Tangled Bathrooms. They've got good shade and nice ambiance and <laughs> shit's dope. I just wish it was something cooler than a bathroom. You gotta take what you can get, man. <laughs> you gotta take yeah, what man. Oh, uh, man. So, uh, for me, going back, um, actually, it's funny because it's. I feel like the movies that we've all named so far... I think they're from a specific point in our lives. Um, another movie for me that, for some reason, I'm like super drawn to this movie. Um, it's from 1995. I saw it again when I was like maybe 10 or 11 years old. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of this movie before. Uh, have you ever heard of this movie called Hackers? Why did he come to you? I got a record. I was zero cool. Zero cool? Crashed 1,507 systems in one day? Biggest crash in history. Front page New York Times, August 10th, 1988. I thought you was black, man. Yo, man, this is zero cool! Oh, shit! This far out. This is zero cool, man! (laughs) Yo, that's great. There goes MIT. I'll make it up! Yeah? How? I'll hack the Gibson. Dude, they'll trace you like that, man. The cops are gonna find you. They're gonna find you with a smoking gun. Fucked if I care, man. Look, even if you had the password, it'll take you 10 minutes to get in, and you still gotta find the files, man. I mean, the cops will have you in five minutes. Oh, wow, we are fried. Never send a boy to do a woman's job. With me, we can do it in seven. You both screwed. 
I hope we do it in six. Jesus, I gotta save all your asses. I help. We could do it in five minutes now. Okay, let's go shopping. <laughs> Boom! Hackers? <laughs> yes. I've heard uh, of it. Yeah, so it stars Angelina Jolie. Yeah. And she's as the hot up. girl hacker, right? Yeah. Um it's it's basically about these New York street kids who are hackers who basically take down this conglomerate. It's <laughs> like that's like that's like the long and short of it. But essentially it's like actually the funny thing, it's actually probably the best movie to watch people sit at computers. Like mm-hmm. if you think of like most like movies where right now like now like it's all like pretty common like in action adventure movies or whatever. Um, it looks now, I mean, it looks like super dull. Like people are just shrug their eyebrows and look deeply into like the abyss. But this movie hackers, like they go like, it's like full stylized, like from the way they dress to the way they talk to the way they even show like the computers, like, like the software and like how like things are being hacked or whatever. It's like mega nineties. Um, but it's it's always been like a favorite of mine, especially during that era where we were like America Online, like that era where like, like people were just getting like familiar with what the internet was. Um actually that it's like on the cusp of that really. Like it's not a lot of people with homegrown computer like home like in home mm-hmm. computers. Uh, hackers came out like five years before like my family even got a computer. Um, it's like Angelina Jolie, but also John Lee Miller, and my favorite. John Matthew Lee Miller, Miller needs more jobs. Change my mind. Yeah, and another favorite of mine, uh, Matthew Lillard. Um, oh my god. Yeah, Matthew Lillard was so fucking good in this movie. You, what is your name? Uh, Manuel Goldstein, sir. You, however, are not on my list. Whoa, this isn't woodshop class? I screen tested for Johnny Lee Miller's part. I was the in-room reader for the auditions in New York City. And during that process, Ian and I became buddies. And the more I worked with these women for their auditions, the more he's like, oh wait, you could be that guy. So I actually, they flew me out to LA to screen test for that part. I sadly didn't get it. It's, it's uh, Johnny Lee Miller who got that part. God bless him. So what do you think, I crashed your place tonight? <laughs> What is it with this guy? His parents miss Woodstock and he's been making up for it since. I had this thing with like a toothbrush because I had this backstory that his mom and dad were horrible so he always carried his toothbrush because he never knew where he was going to sleep. And that became like a thing. And I just, I love the fact that you could bring anything you wanted to that kind of experience and we, they would weave it into something. Nikon Kane, can I crash your place tonight? Again? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I watched that performance. I was like, oh my God, what was I doing? I was just chewing scenery left and right. And I have this theory. I mean, I have this theory about acting that energy is electric to watch. And, you know, back then it's unbridled energy. And I think that that worked in a way. You know, you had these two lovers, these, you know, the central characters. And, you know, there was these weird characters on the outside that were fun. Like he, his name is Serial Killer, like Fruit Loops. 
and I totally <laughs> love that nickname so much. Like, I like I I used to use that nickname like a lot. Um, I'll I'll be honest. I I love Matthew Lillard a lot, but like he needs to maybe chill on Twitter a little bit right now. Uh, <laughs> see, I don't follow my heroes on Twitter. <laughs> so. yeah, it's nothing terrible, but he like popped off about a TV show last night, and like is kind of in like the the entire internet seems to be like, my dude, you are absolutely and unequivocally in the wrong about this. Do you remember He's, the TV show? Uh, no. Let me look it up. Uh, he also shared a picture of a fan hugging him at an event where you can see his backside. And he goes, I don't have an ass. I just have a long back. <laughs> There's a man that's very uh, self-aware. And I think about that a lot. Uh, 90s Matthew Lillard was on a fucking tear, man. Also, like, I, I just, like, I don't know if he's okay. I would really like to, someone to, like, go see him and make sure he's okay. Oh shit. Uh, uh, someone just tweeted at him, will you be my dad? Uh, and he said, it's too late for us, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, again, he's very uh, self-aware. Uh... Okay, he's watching Good Girls. Okay, I don't know what that show is. So. Me neither. He also apparently makes D&D dice now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, like, hey, I'll be his friend. Is that a, is that a boing sound? No, that's just like a, I would hang I would hang out. D&D is not an, an inherent boing for me. Okay, well, I'll give him a boing sound just for me. D&D <laughs> is a, like, nice! Like, not necessarily a, like, boing, 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 boing. It's just, like, cool. Like, yeah. I, happy, I've got, happy to hear it, my dude. I've gone to a couple of those card stores, and it's, uh... <laughs> it's, uh... It's, uh... I would say slow for those guys in there as far as the boing, so. But shout out to them. They're living their truth, so I can't hate on that, man. <laughs> but, um, but nah, man. Shout out to hackers. Like, um, like I said, like, from the flavor of the movie and just sort of curiosity about, like, the internet um, and being so, it's so wild that we're so ingrained with technology now that even thinking about a time when, you know, cell phones wasn't a thing. Even thinking about a time when just, like, computers weren't necessarily a thing. Like, I'm at a point in my life where I'm actually this, I'm actually at a point now where my life, I've been more ingrained with technology than without it. Hackers was 95. I got my first computer in, in the year 2000. So, like, I was, like, um... 14 i'm i'm on i turned 34 this year so i've had computers longer than i've not had them and mm-hmm. so it's it's like really interesting to kind of like even just ponder in a movie like hackers like i if i happen to catch it like scrolling through like some free uh movie streaming site like i'll like i'll just watch it like i love hackers so much what's um so for you though, what's um, what's another movie that you uh, or even set of movies like that you watch or 
that you feel to put you in sort of like an elevated mood. Mm. So I'll be honest, there are like a lot where I, I don't necessarily sit down and watch the whole movie, but like I look up uh, chunks of it a lot. Uh, so like I, I really like watching Rainbow Connection, like just that scene from the Muppet movie. <laughs> oh, I I think just watching individual scenes, like I think that counts. Like I watch, um, we spoke about Bane. In Batman last week, I watched when Bane beats up Batman. Like, like I would just watch that scene. Like, I know that scene by heart. Like, it's and the funny thing is, Batman's such a hero of mine. And in, in that scene, he's getting his ass completely pummeled. But for I still, for some reason, I still love that scene a lot. I mean, I can't blame you. I would watch Tom Hardy do anything to anyone, any, anytime, anywhere. Um. Hey. Amy style. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you know, whatever, whenever, uh, you know, that whole thing. Uh, so one one of the other ones that I was thinking about a lot is that uh, I I have realized that uh, I was trying to think of like movies I make people watch with me because I think that's often like. I know this is probably very dumb, but, like, I have a lot of movies that I consider, like, a metric. And I'm like, ooh, if you don't like this, like, this might say something about kind of either our senses of humor or whatever. Oh, everyone Uh, has that, yeah. Don't be ashamed everyone has that. And, uh, like, even if it's not your favorite, like, if you, as long as you can kind of appreciate it for what it is, like, that to me is a good sign, right? Yeah. Uh... And I realized that I have made everyone I've ever even considered dating or spending a significant amount of time with watch Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> like, we're definitely going to watch, well, not we're, I'm going to watch that for the first time in the near future. Um, but without getting into, you know, spoiler alert type details, mm-hmm. what specifically gravitate? you toward this movie because I feel like this is probably your favorite movie ever just from the conversations we've had. Is that an accurate assessment? Why do you want to be a lobby boy? Who wouldn't? At the Grand Budapest, sir. And so my life began. Junior lobby boy in training under the strict command of Monsieur Gustav H. (laughs) Many of the hotel's most valued and distinguished guests came for him. I love you. I love you. She was dynamite in the sack, by the way. She was 84. Mm, I've had older. This was also when I met Agatha. She's charming. She's so charming. Is he flirting with you? Yes. I approve of this union. I became his pupil, and he was to be my counselor and guardian. The police are here. I'm not sure. Um, I really struggle to rank movies because I like a lot of different ones for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, but I would say that this may be one of my favorite like high art movies if that makes sense you know it was nominated for a lot of awards the year it came out it was taken very seriously um and you know it's kind of one of those movies and i say that with all the love and respect in the world because i really i really do love it um and in my mind uh the reason that i love this movie so much and i don't know that it's my my favoriteest favorite but it's one that if it's on, if I catch it, if I even think about watching it, I'll probably watch it. 
is that Wes Anderson, he layers things exquisitely. So the aesthetic of this movie is very pastel and very light, but it's also got like a pretty high body count. Like a lot of people die. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's very humorous and sweet, but also very dark and frank. And it's kind of these beautiful contradictions that in my mind make it so good. Uh, also, the comedy is often layered on dark moments and isn't necessarily like, obviously it's deliberately comedic, but to us as outsiders, but to the people in the scene, it doesn't necessarily make sense as like a funny moment. Uh, that also said, uh, it absolutely uses its Adrian Brody correctly. <laughs> uh, which is always such a joy. Uh, Ray Fine is also excellent in it. Um, you've seen the new Spider-Man movies, right? Yeah. The guy who plays Flash Thompson made his first ever appearance in this film. Okay. And he is so good. Uh, it Suri Saronin is in it. Okay. And like, ugh, ugh. Willem Dafoe is in it. All right, okay. Jeff Goldblum's in it, and he's almost unrecognizable. Everything is in it is so heightened, but also so surface level at the same time that it's it's just creates this ridiculous series of contradictions that I love. Also, um, it's super symmetrical in its framing, like as a film, and that super satisfies the part of my brain that's just a, a little bit OCD. What do you, so, kind of getting, like, a sense of the movies that I've liked and that I have talked about, what do you think, or if anything, do you think that I would be drawn to in Grand Prix the Best Hotel? Yeah, so there's a couple things. Uh, first of all, I think you would probably be, I think, a little bit more pulled into the romance aspect that exists in the movie than I, I think I've sold it as. Okay. Um, there's a really strong romance and it's very sweet. Um, but still, I won't say realistic necessarily, but it does a really good job of kind of capturing that innocence that like an early love can have. And I think that aspect is, is really interesting to watch as someone who, you know, we've, we've had a whole episode about our romance movies. So, uh, I also think that the comedy is something that would make you laugh because of just how offbeat it is. Uh, I also think just aesthetically, this movie changes aspect ratio like three times and the sets are beautiful. There are miniatures, like it is a treat to watch. And there are a couple other things that I think you might like, but I also think that they may be getting a little close to spoiler territory. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm very anti-spoiler. So. But I will say the action when it comes is equal parts like heart racing, good action and over the top action that will make you chuckle All right, okay. just from that perspective without even looking at the plot. You're doing a good job of selling this man. Um, I don't, I don't, I'll look to see where it's streaming, but it's definitely something that I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by. Um, I've heard like a lot of people, not just you, but just like, um, just a lot of critics and like a lot of fans, um, and even being on Tumblr. <laughs> um, Tumblr uh, loves that movie because of the yeah, aesthetic. 
Yeah, well, yeah, Tumblr's definitely all aesthetic. <laughs> but, but no, like, even even going beyond that, yeah, I've seen like, a lot of people say a lot of good things about Grand Budapest Hotel, so... Um, I really want to watch uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, because I have not seen that before. And I recently found out that uh, it was largely directed by Wes Anderson over Skype. Oh, wow. Okay. He was not really in the studio at all. He just gave them, like, crazy detailed notes about what the characters did, how they moved, whatever, right? How they looked. Came down, signed off on the initial models, and had so meticulously storyboarded the movie that he had basically pre-directed it. Okay. All right. Uh, so I have not seen it. It's one of the few of his that I haven't seen, so I'd really like to see how it comes together. Yeah, I think um, just for me... I don't think I've watched a lot of his. Um, I don't think I watched a lot of his movies. Um, I think, you know, the funny thing is, I think Rushmore was actually kind of underrated when it came out, because um, I feel like it kind of came and went. But Rushmore is the only movie of his that I've seen. I haven't seen anything else he's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'll give it a shot. I'll definitely give it a shot. It's like sound advice or whatever it's like comics conventions and cosplay or whatever it's like ladies night or whatever it's like wrestling or whatever it's like parenting or whatever it's like anime or whatever it's like spiritual warfare or whatever it's like Great friends, awesome people, coming around, doing what we do best. Or whatever. You should watch, listen, and follow. Or whatever. It's like a podcast or whatever. One of the things that I typically like to do, I know I definitely brought up, you know, sort of maybe like a nostalgia aspect of, um watching films mm-hmm. uh that kind of gives me joy but mm-hmm. actually i i kind of find myself lately at least sort of bridging out to watch just movies i've not necessarily movies well not necessarily just movies i've seen before but also kind of watching like <laughs> like random movies that i've legit never even heard of before mm-hmm. so there's this app um, called Tubi. You can see movies there totally free. I mean, they, they like they splice in ads in between the movies, but I that... believe that they have my favorite TV show that I'm watching through right now. Uh, well, yeah, they, they on, have yeah shows. on Tubi. They have TV shows there, and what I'll do, like I'll just watch like random movies that, like I said, like. I've never heard of before the actors like I've never even heard of before at all um so I'll give those type of movies a shot um one of the movies and and I'll be frank like <laughs> a lot of the movies are very miss <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not even gonna lie um but every now and then you'll come across like movies that are that are particularly worth it to be frank um, there are two movies that I'm, I'm thinking about. One is a, is a regular movie. Another is this documentary that I saw there. Um, 
the one movie that I'm thinking about um, that I caught there, um, I think maybe about two weekends ago, is this movie called Human Affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only 80 minutes long, and it stars actors that you've legit maybe, I would say you've never heard of. Harper from Stranger Things, he, he makes a cameo in it, but mm-hmm. he's not a major player in it. But for Human Affairs, it's basically about this um, this French girl who was like a surrogate for this couple in New York City. And you kind of follow her journey of kind of depression, anxiety, longingness. Um, and you kind of, you know, you kind of journey, you know, her life through this couple and it's actually a pretty good movie. Um, I gave it four stars in my letterbox. Um, it may not be something that I may like revisit ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are kind of some points I thought it would be like a Juno esque type movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it actually kind of stands on its own. And I think that movie is actually pretty good. Um, another, the documentary that I caught that was really good. Um, it it's about basically um, these uh, prisoners that come out of jail and get reintroduced to society. The movie's called Returning Citizens, and it primarily focuses on um, returning prisoners who are from D.C. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to get reacclimated into society, but it's like you know they're returning prisoners. They're coming out during the um, I think this is when. The Obama term is like getting out, like he's like on the way out or whatever, and it's kind of like following like a couple of different people through their lives of being reintroduced into society and you know trying to get acclimated. And I actually thought it was a really actually pretty touching documentary, primarily because you know there are parts of our society that we disregard, like mm-hmm. we disregard homeless people and we definitely disregard prisoners mm-hmm. and. You know, we kind of have this sort of thing of, like, we say that, you know, prisoners are in jail to get, you know, quote-unquote rehabilitated, but then they go in, they don't learn anything, they come out to a society that's lapped them by multiple times. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, now what? And so right. I, I thought it was a pretty interesting and intimate look into, you know, lives, especially for people from D.C., because... I mean, I'm from D.C. I've had family members that have gone to jail and had to get back into society. And it's definitely, like, a struggle for not only my family members, but for returning, you know, inmates throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Even regardless of the type of crimes that they do, um, it's it's always a challenge. So I thought that documentary, who I caught, like, just on the fly, mm-hmm. randomly one night, I thought the documentary was, like, really pretty exceptional. Um, so yeah, like just catching, just catching movies that, like I said, you have no expectations for, you have no like mindset of what it's going to do or where it's going to take you and just diving into it. Um, I, and especially when it pays off, that's the moment that's like, I'm really glad I spent the 80 minutes watching this movie. Yeah. Can I put in a plug for a weird series that is streaming on both, uh, Amazon Prime and also Tubi. Yes. British series called The Prisoner. Uh, 16 or 17 episodes. From 1967. 
I'm revisiting it right now with my dad. Uh, but I think you might really enjoy it. Uh, it's <laughs> weird, but good. Uh, if you do decide to visit it, let me know, though, because the order that it's presented on Amazon is not the correct order. Oh. <laughs> okay, that's super odd. Um, well, so it, it was well, aired in the order that I guess the the network thought was the most marketable, but was oh. not the intended order for the series. So this oh, is the airing order, whereas we have a DVD set that has it in the order that was intended for viewing based on how it was filmed. Okay. You said The Prisoner, it's on Tubi right now. Yes, and Amazon Prime. Okay. It came out in 67. Well, oh, okay, yeah. it's I see it on TV, yeah. Oh, they have it in order. They have it in actual order. So, yeah, I'll definitely give this a shot. See how this turns out. It's weird. It's weird as shit. <laughs> I say that like so excited to have someone else to talk to about this. I've been assigning it to people as quarantine homework <laughs> because like it is it has a crazy cult following. Uh but like I wish that this had caught on with amateur philosophers in the way that Rick and Morty had. <laughs> I'll say that. Okay. I don't have any regrets about that. Are you big into Rick and Morty? No, I am. Uh, I am not either. <laughs> I like the idea of it. However, I find everything about it, frankly, kind of abhorrent. Uh, I know oftentimes that is the point. Uh, yeah. But I don't care to do that to myself. Uh, I also met Justin Roiland and he threw up on me. Uh, I'm just not... <laughs> Oh, oh shit. I'm just kind of bury uh, the lead on that one. <laughs> well, even before uh, I was like getting assaulted by frat boys at a Halloween party while they were yelling, Yum a dub dub! And like once that happens to you, like you just kind of you check out of that source material. Uh, I understand uh, amateur amateur philosophers just sit down in your armchairs for just a second before you come flooding at me in the DMs. I understand. That Rick is not meant to be the hero. I know. It's weird that you idolize him anyway, but I, I do fundamentally understand. Also, believe it or not, I do understand that Justin Roiland is making a commentary and uh, what's the other guy's name? You know who the fuck I'm talking about. The other one. Um, the other one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I understand that they are trying to make a commentary on the uselessness of women. Uh, and I understand that they occasionally even deign to subvert that. Uh, I understand that this is not meant to be taken seriously. I understand. I understand. <laughs> and I still don't like it. And that is okay and valid. I think the first episode is good. That is all of the positivity I have for Rick and Morty. <laughs> I don't have any positive. <laughs> I'm not, I'm just not Rick and Morty, man. Like, I also think that the experience of trying to be a woman existing in a space with people who like that show may have permanently soured me on that show. Isn't that kind of the same thing with like Family Guy? Because I remember that when Family Guy was first a thing on Fox before it got canceled, and I thought it was a decent show. Then it got canceled, then it 
came back and then now it's this whole just other thing and I just are you do you like um Family Guy? Cause I I have seen one episode of Family Guy. That's one enough. That and, is uh, one enough. It was fine, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it was the episode where Peter is able to pay, play for the Patriots, and he gets a touchdown and sings Shapoopy from The Music Man. And I only saw it because I was in a production of The Music Man at the time. <laughs> and you know much. what? I thought it was fine, and I've never had any desire to watch it again. I, I And I'm a Simpsons apologist, by the way. Like, I watched The Simpsons way past when it was good. And I have less oh. issue with that. I have less the, issue with the, the Simpsons the first, selling out than I do with Family Guy as a premise. The first, um, the first what seven seasons of Simpsons Eight. were good money. Yeah, the first they were good money. I don't fuck with anything after that, but yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. take the I'll take the first eight seasons that over virtually anything. There were definitely times where like. We were wa- like I think we watched the like first episode of the twentieth season air live. Like I'm pretty sure that's a thing that happened in our household. Might Jeez. have been the twenty fifth season. Well, it was just on, you know. So we were. It's like, uh, what do we watch at seven thirty on Sunday nights? Uh, I guess we watch The Simpsons. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's how. Damn, I don't even remember when Simpsons used to come on. The, the new episodes used to come on like every Sunday back yeah. in the day. Yeah, they're on Sunday yeah. nights. Yeah. 7.30 Sunday nights, I think. 7 or 7.30. Yeah, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm good on, especially like the shit they try to do with like the Apu, like them not really apologizing for it, but then trying to make it seem like we were... People were bad people for calling them out on it. Like, since that, like, I've been super good on The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a sidetrack for your ass, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a mega sidetrack. All right. Um, so, what's so what's something? So, like I said, for me, like, um, looking at new movies. And then, like, paying off with, like I said, low expectations, mm-hmm. something that I do find comfort in. Um, what's something else that you find comfort in for your movie-watching pleasure? See, this is a thing that I've realized, is that, like, I don't have a ton, a ton of movies. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a little bit more TV, but even then I find I think I usually look to music. Oh, we can get into that. Yes, we'll we'll drop an ad here, and we'll be right back. What makes me want to get close to someone and snuggle? Fear. Salutations. I'm Melisette, and on a frightful fret with Melisette, I read classic horror stories, combining audiobooks and audio drama into a podcast. Come away with me into the darkness and let me make your ears tingle with a sensation of terror. A Frightful Fret with Melisette. Available everywhere podcasts are and find us at ourfrightfulfret.net. Don't forget. Alright, and so before we left, you were saying that 
it seems like you're more influenced by music than um, religious spirits. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so I've always been, uh, I've always been a music person. Um, I was, uh, I did a lot of singing when I was younger. Um, I was fairly trained. I've always kind of been very musically minded, uh, and and I'm taking this uh, kind of extra time that I have during during quarantine to learn uh, ukulele, which is an instrument I've always kind of noodled with, but nothing I've ever really, like, learned. Yeah. Uh, I've always been really drawn to music, though. I've always, like, I always have music on when I'm doing stuff. Uh, I've pretty much always listening to music while we're recording the podcast. It's just always been really helpful to me. Um, One of the first kind of I guess obsessions is, I don't, that's probably the correct word, but like, you know how when you're a kid and you fixate on something? Yep. My like first, not my first, but I think my biggest kid fixation was Queen. (laughs) Nice. Uh, I think I was like 10. And uh, we watched a Live Aid concert of Queen. And then we got a bunch of the music videos on DVD because they released them on DVD back then. And then when I was 11, we went to London and I got to do a bunch of like rock and roll tourism. Nice. And I was like, oh, okay. I also sing like an opera singer and uh, I I dress in a way. (laughs) This please. Like, yes, that obviously. And like, I have I have the Queen Funko Pops. I know people's mileage may vary on Funko Pops, but I have the Queen ones. I love them. I I have always been a, a big uh, devotee of Queen and Freddie Mercury's, uh, including reading a lot of books about Queen history that I was probably much too young to read. Um, but I didn't really care. Do you have a favorite Queen album or and a favorite Queen song? <sighs> the album question is always so hard because like. I I have a lot of albums of theirs that like I I get the vision, I get the energy and they're kind of good for different things. Um that said, I think A Night at the Opera was the first album of theirs that I bought the remaster of. Um so they remastered them and I want to say 2009 or maybe 2012 and uh I bought 2011, I'm sorry. Uh and I bought the day at the races one so hard (laughs) now that said if i'm being technical i would probably do their 1986 live album at wembley stadium um because that has queen is a band that if you haven't watched any of their live performances pause the podcast go look up their live aid set it's 20 minutes long come back we'll still be here but like (laughs) they are such a strong live act and somehow that energy really comes off even in their recordings. Nice. Uh, and I really, really love that. Um, I also think that just is, it's fun to listen to. You know, they do like little throwaway covers of Hello, Mary Lou, Goodbye Heart, and You're So Square, I Just Don't Care. Like, it's... It, it is really a celebration not only of Queen, but of the music that Queen was inspired by. Okay. And I, I appreciate the hell out of that. 
in in terms of favorite Queen song, uh, that's that's such a hard question because I think so many of them are so good in so many different ways. But I've really been vibing uh, with the Queen song "Liar" recently. Uh, it's seven minutes long, and all of those minutes are very necessary. Um, <laughs> but uh, that was a, an insult that was leveled at me a lot in in a relationship that I left. Jeez. It was also never true, which was so funny to me. Um, <laughs> but uh, so he was lying. He was. He was the liar. I mean, he was seeing things through a, a lens that was partially obscured. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. Uh, and this song is, is it's a very Freddie Mercury song. It's big and dramatic and overindulgent, and it has this energy, and it's, you know, a little operatic and overdramatic and with a beautiful, just rollicking guitar lick. And I was like, all right, you know what? If we're name-calling. Ah. <laughs> uh, and it, 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 to me, has very, very good bad bitch energy uh, while still being very authentically queen. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I would very politely, albeit firmly, like to pitch Bohemian Rhapsody off a roof. <laughs> so you were not a fan of the movie? Well. Or the song? No, uh, the movie. I, the song is fine. I, I mean, I get Bohemian Rhapsody burnout. I think most everyone does. But uh, I that movie made me so angry. Um, I'm overjoyed that more people will get to kind of live their queen moment like I did because of it. So I guess I'm grateful that it exists. But, like, Freddie Mercury was queer. He wasn't just gay. And, like, there's a lot of weird erasure that happened in there as a side effect of that. You know, it very much has the biopic narrative of, like, queer queer band member leaves the fold and returns humbled. Like, isn't wild anymore. Band accepts him. Large cosmic punishment. And, like, I hate that shit. That's not what happened. Yeah. Um... And also, fuck Brian Singer. Stop giving him your dollars. But, you know, hey. <laughs> yeah, it was it was wild how he still put that movie out. So, I get it. If, like, if it's, if music history is something you're interested in, which, knowing you, I think it is, watch it and then call me after and we'll go through it. <laughs> And I'll, um, <laughs> I'll just real real quick oral history that shit. Um, I'm I'm definitely into music history. I'm not into watching terrible movies <laughs> that I know are gonna be bad. Did you see Rocket Man? Uh, no, I did not. I did not catch that. I think I liked that more. I know. I heard people say that they they did like Rocket Man better. Um, I think Rocket Man is ready to be a Broadway musical, though. Like, I feel like they they were trying to make it this generation's Jersey Boys. 
And it still has a lot of the same problems of, like, aggressive kind of story cleanliness. I mean, yeah, it's, um, he saw his own story. And biopic beats, if that makes sense. But all the musical numbers kind of make up for that. I don't think there's, I don't think there's really been a shit from, from Matt to Bohemian Rhapsody to Straight Outta Compton. Like, those are all the last three major movie, uh, music biopics, and I think all of those are super, well, I've seen um, Straight Outta Compton, and that was, like, super sanitized. It was told from the perspective of Dr. Dre and Ice Cube, so a lot of the shit you have to take with a grain of salt. They didn't talk about whenever uh, Dr. Dre assaulted uh, a woman journalist, D. Barnes. So it's like, so they skipped over a lot of shit. Um, I think yep. the last, I think the last like good biopic I can remember is the um, the Jimi Hendrix movie that Andre 2000 starred in. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie actually it didn't really pull any punches. Like it, it kind of showed Hendrix for someone who I did not know who he actually was. Like he was, he was like an abusive like a, 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 a serial abuser or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that movie was actually really well done and really well acted by Andre. Um, so I think of the four movies we recommended, I would say that's probably the one we would actually recommend to people. So if you want to kind of understand the problem with a lot of musical biopics, those of you who are listening at home, I would recommend checking out the Patrick H. Willems video about it. But even before you do that, watch Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. I've always wanted to catch that, man. I never caught it. Because it is a very clever parody of all of the music movie biopics. Uh, And I think it is great. Wow. Great plan, boys. The Phillies love you, Dewey. Yeah, if I wasn't a married man with a good head on my shoulders, I don't know what I'd do. You gotta get back out there, Dewey. They are going crazy. All right, let me splash some water on my face. I'll be right back. Okay. Hurry up! Golly, that rock and roll. (laughs) Get out of here, Dewey. What are y'all doing in here? We're smoking reefer. And you don't want no part of this shit. You're smoking reefers? Yeah, of course we are. Can't you smell it? No, Sam. I can't. Come on, Dewey. Join the party. No, Dewey. You don't want this. Get out of here. You know what? I don't want no hangover. I can't get no hangover. It doesn't give you a hangover. Well, I'll get addicted to it or something? It's not habit-forming. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I don't want to overdose on it. You can't OD on it. It's not going to make me want to have sex, is it? It makes sex even better. Sounds kind of expensive. It's the cheapest drug there is. Hmm. You don't want it. I think I kind of want it. Okay, but just this once. Come on in. I always wanted to catch that, man. Um. But yeah, no, so I, I think that for me, Queen has often been the, the the place I come back to in crisis um, because I also find that they have a lot of different musics with with different depths of 
sadness and different types of sadness or hope or whatever. You know, they had a pretty long career as a lot of rock bands go. Yeah. Um, I have also found, though, that, like, I was hanging out with the Cars for, like, pretty much all summer. <laughs> Last summer? Yeah. Nice. What's your what's a go-to car song for you? Uh probably Magic. You know, I know it's not one of the like the biggest deal ones, but to me that feels so full as a song. You know, the joy in that song really kind of radiates out of it. Like, lately I've been, um, I think, well, lately I've been listening to, like, a lot of, just, like, a lot of um, new rap, but mm-hmm. also some old rap. Um, I actually, I actually I got into Supreme Clientele, like, um, actually, I think it was um, the before last. Ghostface, like, it's just super, it's super dense, it's super stories about shit that is coded in, like, 5% of language, drug talk, and, like, New York slang, all mixed into this ridiculously great production behind it. Um, I've been really big into Supreme lately. Um, two new projects I've been listening to uh, from these two rappers off of Griselda Records. Um, this guy called Conway. Um, he dropped this album called Lulu, produced with Alchemist. And a couple of days ago, Westside Gun, he dropped a new album called Pray for Paris. And Andre, uh, not Andre Thousand, but Tyler, the creator, he actually produced two songs on it. And, Whoa. And this guy, Westside Gun, he's like one of like the biggest, like I guess, gangster rappers out now. And Tyler is rapping about glitter fingernails. <laughs> like, like, the balls to Tyler to rap about glitter fingernails on this type of album is just worth the price of admission itself. When I walk in, niggas ring the ring the bells. Roses at my feet, niggas nail bitches yell. Glitter on my neck, match the glitter on my fingernails. Niggas always got something to say. Well, fuck them. Same guys was mighty till they got the ducking. We got the pucks and we chucking. They playing chicken, we clucking. I'm Colonel Sanders to you motherfuckers. Niggas trash and we dumping. I've been rapping and fucking. He's six five, I'm a munchkin. And we speed to the disco. This car came with a driver. I'm in the back playing fronting. I ain't crying. The winners flying. Stop making assumptions. I ain't lying. So, picking those, like, finding those, like, two new songs, like, uh, well, not songs, but um, albums. Like, um, I've been getting into that pretty much a lot lately. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man. I'm trying to. I'm like now. It's kind of like a lot of artists aren't really dropping much, but I feel like because I, I think I, I think rappers are the only people that are dropping music lately. I haven't heard like a Fiona new... Apple just dropped. Oh shit. yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. Have you, she's um... a she's a 
I would describe her as not a rapper. Uh, she is not a rapper, no. Because <laughs> <But>, um, <laughs> I did see that float in the TL. Um, were you ever big into Fiona Apple? Uh as I appreciate her craft a lot, I am rarely in the mood for her. Okay. Uh, I I have imagine a sixty year old white man with oh. pretty good taste in music, like pretty good taste, pretty wide variety of taste, but still okay. like a sixty year old man who's mostly into rock music. Is that you? Are you the then make him five man? foot six? With purple hair and good eyebrows. That's me. Um, <laughs> I I really like her stuff. I appreciate her stuff a lot. My first instinct is very rarely to seek out her stuff. Okay. Uh, and that's not a dig. Like, I feel very similarly about, like, Regina Spector, who I think is an amazing artist. But I am never, like, when she's on, I'm always happy she's on. But I rarely seek out. Okay. And that's not a good, a bad, or an indifferent, but just I guess you just don't want you don't want to be put into like the the type of mindset that those that that music kind of puts you into. I don't even know. Like I think that it it's not even a mind. I don't even think it's that deep. Yeah, I think I just have my little crayon box of favorites, and I tend to dig into that more than I dig into like markers. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Um, at the same time, though, that, that seems unfair. Because, like, let's take a look at what I'm listening, like, the most that I'm listening to right now. Because Spotify keeps track of that for me now. Yeah, Spotify is doing a pretty decent job of the algorithms for the daily. So um, my, my top on repeat right now is Stupid Love by Lady Gaga... Smash shit up by the talk, uh, the Dropkick Murphys, and Swamp by the Talking Heads. Nice. Uh, then there's basically the entire Wendy's soundtrack. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then a lot more Talking Heads, specifically from the Stop Making Sense album, which I I have been listening to a lot recently. On on my like re- uh, repeat Spotify list, Frank Ocean's Nights because because obvious. Yeah. Um, Call Out My Name from Weekend, Nutmeg from Ghostface, and Freddie Gibbs uh, fake name. So that all makes total sense, honestly. I do love Frank Ocean. Uh, I will also say, you want to know an album that I have specifically not been looking looking at recently? And neither have I been looking at the film associated with it, even though in certain situations I do find it comforting. What is that? I have been avoiding Pink Floyd's The Wall like it is the plague. (laughs) Why? So, that is a really good album for me feeling understood in my depression and dissociation. Uh, I think it it is a beautiful representation of feeling lost and trapped in your own brain and feeling stuck and feeling like nobody understands you and that is absolutely not the feelings i need to be fixating on right now yeah i would love to watch that movie at some point for the podcast because i have opinions tm uh but like 
probably not until like 2021 at this rate. <laughs> I need to yeah. like be able to go outside and take a walk after without being like afraid of someone coughing within a half a mile of me. And I'm not trying to make light of this situation, but like I do live in a in a space where like the the it is a it is a very prevalent thing here. Yeah. I mean, I know it is everywhere, but like Boston's a a center. Yeah. What do you what do you seek out? Is there like an album like Matthew, my best friend and brother who I mentioned a little bit earlier, his his album, he always seeks out Green Day's American Idiot when he needs comfort. Do you have an album like that? Um, yeah, I would I would say well, I feel like the only time I need sort of comfort lately I have been gravitating toward Frank Ocean's Blonde a lot lately. We laid out on the sweat flow, away turf, no astro, mesmerized out of strobes glow. Look at all the people feet dance. I know that your nigga came with you, but he ain't with you. The only human in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to I listened to that today. Um, I listened to actually Frank Ocean's Endless also which is the album he dropped like two days before Blonde. Um, I, there's this artist out of the UK called Sampha um, that I've been, I've been into for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. This album called um, Process. Um, I, was, I was like really big into that a couple of years ago. I haven't, I haven't listened to it lately uh, because I feel like that is one of those, like you were saying, like for Pink Floyd, it's it's more suited for I guess getting well for me at least like uh, Sampha is more for when I'm feeling like at my lowest. So luckily I haven't even wanted to listen to that very much. Um, but yeah, Sampha is a it's a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I would say Frank Ocean and shit. I like it's super uh, super sad boys like. Um, even like going back to high school, listen to like Lincoln Park's second album. Mm-hmm. Like it was like for a long time. I like I only listened to Meteora, like because I was like specifically sad. So I kind of don't do it now. Um, I actually I listen to that to that to actually write sometimes, mm-hmm. but more as like background music. But but yeah, like I feel like I use music more for. Um, if I'm in the grip and I need like the bass, or if I like need to write, or if I'm like obviously sad and like I'm trying to work through something. Yeah, uh, I would feel remiss real quick if I did not mention Warren Zevon, who I know I re- mentioned on our Ryan Johnson episode, but he is probably one of my one of my favorite people that I listen to. Uh, I routinely, when I'm driving my friends places, uh, make them listen to Warren Zevon albums with me because Warren Zevon, in my opinion, did a lot more for music than he ever got credit for. And that makes me angry. If you're looking for something to listen to while you're home, our lovely podcast friends, I am going to politely suggest the album uh, Learning to Flinch from 1993. If you are like, you know, Catherine... I don't trust your judgment. Uh, that's fine. Uh, then I'm gonna suggest that you listen to Desperados Under the Eaves. Uh, it's four minutes and 48 seconds of your life. I think you can spare it. 
Yes, you can, yes. But Warren Zevon, who is most known for Werewolves of London, you know that song they play a lot around Halloween on, like, old white people radio? <laughs> is that a favorite of yours? No! I think it's the worst thing he's ever written. Oh, wow, okay. He is an incredibly talented storyteller with music, and somehow the, like, novelty one-off song that he wrote is the one that got big what's one song you would recommend to someone that you would say this is a song to give him well i think a lot of people know lawyers guns and money so i'm not going to include that one i would say that i would probably put in a plug for tenderness on the block she's was recorded by uh, Sean Colvin, who did uh, Sonny Goes, you know, the days go by, I don't know why. Uh, and that's all I'll sing so we don't get copyright struck. It was a thing in the 90s. I don't know what it was. Sonny Came Home, I think is what it's called. Uh, she did a cover of it. It's beautiful. It's about a father's relationship with his daughter. Uh, and it's, it's, in my mind, the best example of his lyricism. Uh, if you're looking for sad boy hours, though, uh, Desperados Under the Eaves or Carmelita, because that shit is sad boy hours. <laughs> that is hard sad boy hours. Yes, I am listening to Carmelita right now. It's sad boy hours. <laughs> <laughs> so I I think I use... I There's particular songs, like um, like I have a playlist. So I, I, I kind of tweet it out every now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's music from there that I use just for amping up sake, which, like I said, I use it if I'm like, um, if I'm trying to get like sort of energized or if I'm like in the car mm-hmm. and I have the system up and I just need the bass or whatever. Um, on this playlist, you will find like, you know, <laughs> the Uzi verts of the world. <laughs> Uh, you'll find like currency and like um, uh, just the new kid Jack Carlo. Um, you'll find ba- you'll find baby or little baby or the baby, whichever baby you prefer. Um, so, so like, yeah, like I think there's kind of like a I think music more than movies it does kind of set a mood um, because you know if you're watching a movie like I feel like you can. You know, you're kind of watching it, but maybe you'll like veer away, or you're like maybe you're you come up to a part you don't care about, so maybe you'll just kind of like not pay attention. But when the music is on, especially you have the headsets on, it's all kind of hard to ignore. Should um, we should we make playlists to to pop in our episode notes page? Uh, yeah, I'm good with making a playlist. I kind of um, I kind of like that idea. We let kind of the the music. The music took us, man. <laughs> no, I'm I'm good with that. Yeah. I think I think that would be a fun little supplement for this. Find Cat at Cat Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. Find Marcus at Show and Mad Love on Twitter and Instagram. S H O 
I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V. Please join our Facebook group at We Should Do This Again Sometime and follow us on Twitter at Kat, K-A-T, and Mark, M-A-R-C. Read us at catseesmovies.tumblr.com and themarkrob, T-H-E-M-A-R-C-R-O-B.wordpress.com. Be sure to tip your waitress at Catherine Chinetti on Venmo. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenlee under Hyphen Podcast Group in conjunction with It's Like a Podcast or whatever. Thanks again for listening. We should do this again sometime.